welcome back, Screamers, to what is our end of the year show. So Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, everyone. And boy, boy, do we have some gifts for you. We... <laughs> We have some gifts for you because today on Why Does the Wilhelm Scream, we'll be talking about our favorite films of 2022, kind of um, an anti-list list, right? So, right. so you'll get, yeah, you'll get a total of 10, 10 favorites, right? Five from each of us that we hope you'll seek out and watch. Um, we're also going to talk about our gift exchange movies. Those are the films that we gifted each other, a film that we thought the other hadn't seen but should. But but before any of that, before that, before any of that, Jason's <laughs> gift to all of you who are listening is a, review, <laughs> is a review of, of the new film Mind Cage starring Martin Lawrence and John Malkovich. Um, so, OK. All right, Jason, why why did you want to talk about this one? I mean, whenever you get two huge Hollywood heavyweights, I mean, clearly James Lipton inside the actor studio type people together in a film like this, um, you know. I think whenever you see Martin Lawrence, this is a dream pairing, right? This is the pairing that we've all been waiting to see since the first time, since we've been in short pants, right? We were, we were, you know, and we heard our, our grandfathers talk about movies. You have dream pairings, right? And, and Lawrence Malkovich is clearly one of those ones. I think that people said, you know, people talked about it and they were like, that's never going to happen. And there were movies, you know, they're like, Oh, what, what great, you know, novel or what great cinema work could we put these two giants together in and you just you couldn't fathom it but one because what would the what would the budget be right i mean like what what would the box office take have to be i mean and of course then of course then you're not even really worried about that because you know the box office will be there you put lawrence and malkovich in a movie you know you know for a fact that is you know that's going to rule the box office for at least six months straight people are going to see it over and over again they're going to get tattoos they're going to name children after it it's going to be fucking huge. And so I couldn't believe it happened and I couldn't believe it just, they went straight to streaming, you know, of course. And, you know, maybe their stars have diminished a little bit over time, but, uh, but man, I mean, I think I, you know, one, and then, and then couple all of that with it, them being in a movie called mind cage, eight characters. That's it. But it says so much and so little at the same time, which is a weird thing to have happen. But I mean, who's in the cage? Whose mind are we talking about? I, I it, what is it, the cage? Right, right, exactly. I'm minding a cage. I mean, like I don't even know. Is it a brain? Is it, am, am I tending the cage? So is again, it a metaphor? <laughs> There's so much going on, and and just not even having seen the film. There's so much going on. And I think that's really kind of what drew me to it. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I think I'd heard about this a, a few months back. And like, I guess I'd just seen something that they were going to be in a movie together. And I thought that's bonkers. I mean, like, that's crazy talk. Like, and because I don't, is Malkovich in that point of his career, you know, getting somewhat serious at this point? Is that, is he, or has he been in that point of his career where he's now doing beach home or tax shelter movies at this, you know, because I understand why Martin Lawrence is doing it. Cause I do think he's in beach home tax shelter movies at this point. I mean, I, you know, he had the last huge pre COVID hit, which was bad boys three. 
And, but that was going to be basically, I mean, his swan song, there's not going to be a bad boys four. there. I mean, unless, unless it's bad boys four, we're definitely too old for this shit. That's the title of the movie. <laughs> yeah. So, what was the, I mean, Malkovich, Malkovich has been in, um, the film Ava, which was a Jessica Chastain vehicle, but also like Colin Farrell, weirdly, I, I mean, like a good cast, I mean, not a great film, but yeah, Malkovich, Jessica Chastain, Common, Gina Davis, Colin Farrell. Uh, Malkovich was also in a small film card called Arkansas, um, which wasn't yeah, that was that Clark wasn't terrible. Duke. That was I didn't actually Clark see it. Yeah. Uh, Vince Vaughn, Liam Hemsworth. So, yeah. but I mean, I think I think yes, I think Malkovich and, and really in, is he was in Space Force, right? I mean, he was in that Netflix series yeah. Space Force with Steve Carell, which season yeah. one was actually pretty funny. I didn't I didn't make it through season two because it got to be pretty bad, but. Yeah. Um, and I knew that they weren't going to continue it. So what the point? What's what was the point of actually continue watching it? Um, he was but, a white I mean, elephant like, with one of the with you know one of those bad like Bruce Willis later career. Yeah. So right, right. And so maybe he maybe he is maybe that's the the stage that he's in where he's lost all sorts of. I mean, like lost any sort of care. But I mean, I just didn't. I I didn't think he was in the Willis and Cage period where he was just basically picking up paychecks and would do essentially anything. Now, to be fair, like I didn't know anything about the director or, or anything else. I just knew it was Martin Lawrence and John Malkovich and that, that right there alone told me that I had to watch it. Um, <laughs> which, so, which does seem, it does seem like a draw though. I mean, it does seem like something that I would go, you know what? I'll give that some right. time just to see what it, happens here. If this was 1995, you would really truly be interested in this because it would be some sort of weird buddy cop, like nothing to lose or one of those like Tim Robbins, you know, it, you know, something along those lines of like where you throw Steve Zahn in the pick and in, in the, in the making, which I said Steve Zahn, <laughs> didn't he do blue? Was that blue streak that he did with Martin Lawrence? I think yeah, so. I know yeah. Steve Zahn was in one of those. So, um, but yeah, this seems like a crazy wacky pairing, obviously that would fit that kind of, stupid movie mold that people were doing, you know, in that time frame. not that they, it's not doing it now, but, but yeah, no, I mean, of course it's, it's one, <laughs> one, and I like to subject you to movies that I know for fucking sure you'd never, this is true. This is true. We have to talk about mind cages. I'm like, fuck me. All right. <laughs> <laughs> now it's every single week. It's falling for, although I blame you for falling for Christmas, but mind cage is my oh, fault. No, so that's, that's, totally that's my fault. Yeah. That's my revenge yeah. for falling for Christmas. Okay. <laughs> so, so, so we, Mal- Malkovich is in his sort of, you know, beach house kind of tax I don't know tax bill phase of his career and Lindsay Lohan is in her Christmas movie phase of her career so that seems I was kind of interested to see what Martin Lawrence did sort of paired next to Malkovich but also then how big was Malkovich going to go because you knew he was going to go huge like Teddy KGB huge in this in this this film and uh, even that was just really kind of disappointing yeah yeah. Uh, do you want to give a rundown? You want me to give a rundown? No, or like- you, give, you give a rundown. You, you do that. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So the plot and I'll, I'll, I'll see how I do because I, this movie, I will be, I will be totally honest. This movie lulled me to sleep. Um, the good <laughs> middle 45 minutes where I just, I, I where I was, I, I was watching, but I, I, I don't know if I was paying too close of attention to it. <laughs> Uh, so our story starts off with <laughs> Martin Lawrence, who's Jake Doyle. He's a 
police detective uh, a few years back. He had solved a huge serial killer case where the killer was called The Artist. Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail about all of that because the movie does and it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Like that whole aspect of the movie, like completely baffled me. Why Malkovich is, you know, dressed up his people, dressed up his victims. Like I know, okay, okay, I'm jumping ahead. So we'll get into that about the inconsistencies of the movie. So fast forward five years later, Malkovich, who was the artist, is in jail. Uh, He has a, Martin Lawrence has a young, fresh out of college. uh, I guess she just became a detective. (laughs) I, I couldn't figure out her timeline because like she talked about how like five years ago she didn't know about the artist and when they talked about that as a as 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 if it was just five years ago this would have been a big huge case that everyone would have known about this would have been something that would have made the news that as as she she would have studied this in her in her criminology courses they would have talked about it doesn't she have like a master's in psychology or something Right, but she has no. And then she vaguely remembers when they bring it up. She vaguely remembers. So they get assigned a case, and lo and behold, it is a copycat of the artist. It's got to be a copycat because the artist John Malkovich is in jail. Now, in the opening scenes, you see Martin Lawrence holding a lot of coffee cups. He never actually drinks coffee. He does drink a coffee actually when he gets back to the station, but he just stands there like his arm is paralyzed and just holds coffee. It it cracked me up. I just was like, I I put in my notes, has Martin Lawrence ever had a cup of coffee? Has he ever held a coffee cup before? (laughs) It's like somebody is like smoking in a film and you know that they've never actually held a cigarette before. They've never smoked before. So this movie, as soon as they figure out this is a copy, cat the, the mary kelly who's played by an actress named melissa roxburgh who i wrote down as uh rada mitchell but not rada mitchell um and as far as as far as the actress goes she has rada mitchell's eyebrows that's basically what she's got <laughs> so this dives headfirst into silence of the lambs territory rada mitchell goes to the artist to help you're just going to call her rada mitchell the whole time <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Not Rada Mitchell goes to the artist <laughs> and she's she's trying. They're trying to, to convince the artist uh, to help them out to figure out who this copycat person is um, throughout the and, and a couple of other caveats to this. The artist is about is on death row. And he is about to be put to he's about to have his he's about to be put to death two weeks in in about two weeks. We also find out that when Martin Lawrence's character, when when him and his partner captured the artist the first time, they got into a head on a collision with the artist. And inexplicably, Martin Lawrence's partner got out of the wreck and then lit himself on fire. So killed himself. So we go through all of this. Um, There's a whole slew of like nonsensical other kind of red herring plots. Uh, Mary Kelly, Rada Mitchell, Melissa Roxburgh. No offense to Melissa Roxburgh. She's fine in this. Um, <laughs> Whatever his name is. <laughs> right. I hope she has a great career. I hope her and Lindsay Lohan make Falling for Christmas too. I hope that happens. Um, Ooh, that sounds that sounds promising. <laughs> I you know which they might have more chemistry than she and Martin Lawrence did. I also was thinking like how did I not mention or like he's come up with that Hanukkah and handcuffs is the perfect sequel to holiday and handcuffs. 
Oh, you're right. That is like we we need if there's something that why does the Wilhelm scream eventually does, we should do a Kickstarter to fund Hanukkah and handcuffs. We should produce it. Listeners out there. Yeah, <laughs> we should happy. produce it. Absolutely. <laughs> I think we have the know-how and, and, and <laughs> yes, of course, it, of, at least the opinions of to tell people what to do. Right. Well, and we know of all the movies that are set during the holiday period that involve handcuffs. You and I have, you know, probably we've, we've seen them all for sure. And yes, I think I think true. I think our opinions are probably more important than and better than most. Oh, for getting sure. Back, getting for back sure. to Mind Cage. There's a bunch of little side plots. Martin Lawrence is, uh, for whatever reason, still stuck on. I mean, obviously, the, the case has affected him because his partner has died. He still carries the weight of that with him five years later. He has been studying different types of religion and psychic phenomenon. Uh, you see him at the beginning of the movie watching some sort of YouTube video that is very like intense and talking about this angel, this fallen angel. And then the voiceover on the, the video is like, you'd know him better as Lucifer. And then it cuts <laughs> off to something else. That's like the first five minutes of the movie. So you know this movie is fucking intense, man. It brings it. This is a Thomas Harris, like just fucking in your face. Like it's just going to be seven is fucking silence of the lambs and has eight millimeter as it's as, and something else as it's twin baby. I can pull another ridiculous. <laughs> That's this movie, man. Uh, yeah. Saw eight millimeter and saw as it's twin kids. So you see Martin Lawrence investigating a lot of different psychic and, and religious studies. For some reason, Rada, Melissa, Mary Kelly is, she has a lot of travel to Rome pamphlets scattered around her apartment and in her, like on her person. And so those come into play. Evidently she's married to a father figure slash ex priest of, of, or ex religious leader of her, you know, that was in her life that helped her out. And now they're married. And it's this weird, bizarre thing. But this, this dives very quickly into Silence of the Lambs territory where Detective Mary Kelly goes to the prison to see John Malkovich and to in, entice him to help out with the case and to figure out where this uh, copycat murderer is happening. Now, all the while additional murders are happening, he's targeting sex workers like the original artist did, but he also starts targeting public figures. And so he kidnaps a lieutenant governor and in order, and basically all of that is a, so the, the, the copycat killer kidnaps the lieutenant governor and all of that is in order for John Malkovich's sentence to be commuted so he can go be, be in life in prison and not, and, and not, have, not be on death row anymore. Like I said, the, the, the middle 45 minutes, there's a list, a lot of convoluted stuff. They go and they see a corner. All of it is very, it's all just so preposterous because the people that that die there's a whole bunch of like plot points that should mean something that don't actually mean anything because again if you look back at this with any sort of like and it's i, I suggest that you don't if you watch this don't go back and try to <laughs> there's no reason to it's okay right? don't look at it, watch it. <laughs> but like one of the bodies dies and it's you know so when the artist kills he dresses them up in these kind of gothic religious outfits and mimicking statues and 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 just different you know religious visages essentially and one of them has this elaborate wings uh, you know wings on on the on the body when they're doing the, the coroner brings the body in he 
clips the wings off. And for some reason, there's blue fingernail polish hidden under one of the wings that Malkovich tips off the cops to. On another body, there's a compass, whatever you call a compass arm. Needle. That was Martin Lawrence's partner's compass needle. And, and the, the, sh- the fingernail polish was a discontinued color that, that Mary Kelly had used when she was a teenager. So all of this was supposed to be pointing back to something. All the while, we go back and forth to, and back to John Malkovich's lair. All this leads up to <laughs> this movie put me to sleep for a good, a good 45 minutes. And I, you know, and again, so like the first 15 to 30, I'm laughing because I'm like, oh man, this movie's got everything. It's got bad green screen. It's got oversaturated uh, camera shots. It looks like it wants to be in the Saw movie. You know, it's got a haunted detective who is popping pills. You know, it's got a new young buck on the scene that's, Mm -hmm. you know, that that is attractive, but not too attractive to be distracting. It's very Law and Order SVU. Like 88. It's got millionaire serial killers that can do these elaborate uh, you know, you know, this is elaborate set pieces for every murder that they do. And it, as a throwaway about, I'm going to say 40 minutes into the movie, you see Martin Lawrence continue to go. So there's a couple of things that, that like really like you, you see Martin Lawrence go and see a woman who's essentially controlling another man um, with her mind, you know, or what you think. And you think maybe it's a hoax, but she has essentially, uh, you know, uh, she's taken, she's taken him over and, and is making him writhe about on the ground, very kind of, uh, you know, uh, spasmically and, and just kind of, it looks like a typical horror type movie that, you know, the movements of a, like, the exorcist. And then at one point you're to believe that Martin Lawrence is kind of above it all. And as, as well as Mary Kelly, cause she basically states that over and over again, that she has disdain for religion. She clearly comes off as an atheist. And so Martin Lawrence, Lawrence takes her to what seems to be some sort of like faith healer um, and asks him to pray for her. And she gets all upset and pissed off and, and, and they have a fight again. All of this is apropos of nothing really. And other than when you hit the big reveal. So again, 45 minutes, I'm laughing 45 minutes. I'm sleeping. And the last five minutes, I'm like, Holy shit, this is what this movie actually did. Cause I was just like, so you, you see this, the copycat killer throughout the film and he's, and he is always in wearing a hoodie all in black. He goes to a strip club at one point so he can kidnap a stripper. You see him at various points. And once Mary Kelly is Finding the lieutenant governor, you see him there as well. And lo and behold, it turns out it is Martin Lawrence. And earlier, in not the film, exactly you, Martin Lawrence. Not exactly Martin Lawrence. It's Martin Lawrence with a voiceover of John Malkovich because John Malkovich is a very young boy. He had been pushed down by his mother and smacked the back of his head. And that had given him the, I guess, in that, either that or the, I see, this is where I got lost because I didn't know if that was what the triggering event was or if he was gifted this by the angel, which was then causing him to like perform sacrifices or homages to the, uh, to the to Lucifer, so Malkovich can go into this like state, this trance-like state, and since he's an artist, if he can draw them, then he can enter their bodies and control their bodies. So Malkovich, this entire time, has 
essentially started killing again so he could get his sentence commuted so he can live he, he could essentially live and he's been going out outside of his body and, and living whatever life he wants to do by taking over these other bodies and it ends up working for him the 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 the, the sentence does get commuted uh, he reveals himself to Mary Kelly and and she and, and what he's what he's doing and what he's done because when he takes over Martin Lawrence Mary Kelly has to shoot him because he's got a because Martin Lawrence who's being controlled by John Malkovich has a gun pointed on her so he kills her and it all seems like evil has won and that John uh, John Malkovich has bested the you know whatever city this is in their police department and then he can go on and live forever <laughs> and live beyond the walls of, of of the prison but don't don't count him out yet Mary Kelly has a trick up her sleeve still she sends him art supplies that are laced with ricin and because earlier in the film he has it shows that he has a tendency to chew on his pencils when he's um, making art <laughs> Which this film is not. <laughs> which is not what he was doing no. when he was acting in this movie. Uh, and yeah, he chews on the rice and and, and uh, that's the end of the movie. He dies and, and Mary Kelly goes on. And then she decides that she will finally take that trip to Rome. With her ex-priest husband. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, man, this movie wanted so desperately to be like a, a metaphysical silence of the lambs and i mean obviously and that's not a new, i mean like the metaphysical part may be new but i mean clearly you know when silence of the lambs wins five oscars and 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 makes tons of money you and i know silence of the lambs was 30 years ago at this point but the the copycats were gonna <laughs> just like in mind cage uh the just copycats like were gonna cage. <laughs> fucking mind page um so yeah i mean it it, it it wanted to create another sort of another hannibal lecter right i mean sorry go ahead you're gonna say something no 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 i mean but at no point is it believable i mean everyone commits i think malkovich probably could have gone harder he could have gone a little bit more but now martin lawrence is woefully miscast in this he has he he can't carry that he can't carry that gravitas of a serious role this is very reminiscent of Chris Rock doing Spiral, the Saw spinoff, the Saw, the Saw prequel series. And this felt much like that, that. That's what they were trying to do here, even though that's a that's a weird thing to mimic because that was not successful <laughs> at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had a look by the time the last 10 minutes, I was just like, OK, this is fucking stupid and ridiculous. I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm back in. You pulled me back in, you sons of bitches, because <laughs> <laughs> I'm in with the, with, the, with the huge, ridiculous reveal. That's that's what I'm you. <laughs> But I'm also thinking like with a bigger budget, this is a, this is a, and like, and you put it back in the eighties. If you replace Martin Lawrence with like Jean-Claude Van Damme and you have Malkovich take on the bodies of like people who can fight him like over and over and over again, like this, have you ever seen Fallen with uh, Denzel Washington? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. similar. It's similar to that, right? I mean, in, in the sense where the where the where the demon can pass through bodies, and they try to poison them at the end of the movie as well. Obviously, that is a much much better movie than this is. But like, there's there's a there's a this is a fun thread to, to that you could go really big and crazy with. But obviously, they don't have the budget, and you've got Martin Lawrence, and <laughs> well, they didn't have. I mean, the look the. The writing was bad. The acting wasn't great. All of the little plot points that got brought up 
and dropped and sort of hidden and that later you realize should have meant something were never actually given sort of time on screen or the weight on screen to actually mean anything. So it's not just I mean, you, you're right with a bigger budget. This could have been, a, you know, a cooler film, but the other structural stuff would have really had to be. I mean, that's what did it for me. I, I can I can only imagine people listening to this and be like, what the fuck did they watch? Because nothing, none of the things that they've said in the past half hour actually makes sense whatsoever. Makes sense. But that's how I felt watching it. Well, I kept like, I, kept, I think that makes perfect sense. Right. I kept kind of like bouncing back occasionally to like, okay, what did I, like, what did I miss here? And all of it is so like nonsensical too. Like, again, I mean, there were so many things, like you said, that were, that were thrown in that make, that are just visual flares that are just, you know, they don't make any sense whatsoever. The, the, um, you know, Malkovich's artistry really doesn't play into it at all, aside from the fact that he could draw. But again, why have that as a plot point? Why have this I, I, other than you need a way to kill him? But OK, you could have had I see. And again, you go back to Fallen where Denzel Washington is willing to sacrifice himself and kill himself essentially to make sure that the demon no longer lives. That's a cool premise. You could have had Mary Kelly kill him in prison, like shoot him in prison. I mean, you you don't need this ridiculous flair other than to give him some sort of like hyped up sense of serial killer, you know, mysticism essentially. And, and so all of that is like, you had budget to put together those set pieces, but really they, 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 they came, nothing came of them. And it wasn't like this movie was overly gory or there were any sort of like cool kill, kill scenes or, or anything of, you know, that nature. So it's, it's bizarre that like almost everything that this movie does, I, I can, see where someone was like, hey, the, on paper, on the back of a napkin, when you're sitting in a bar, Malkovich is a serial killer. Yeah, I've seen in the line of fire. That's pretty cool. Let's do that thing. And then, yeah. but that's all, I think that's all that he had. And they were like, all right, let's, what, do we have any scripts that are on the back burner that are, that are just sitting there unproduced <laughs> that we can like throw this into? Like maybe oh, and, that'll and, work. And this idea of, of sort of the flair, the visual flares, that's kind of all this movie had was trying to be clever and thinking itself more clever than it actually was by by half oh yeah yeah for sure yeah. i i, I yeah. did like the, the, to watch this with a group of bad cinema lovers would be fun that obviously this, just the green screen like like i said the first half hour is really really kind of laugh out loud funny the, the green screen is ridiculously bad when they're driving you know and it's the conversation between lawrence and kelly <laughs> It's so, so obvious. It's almost like Saturday Night Live level bad. It's that's how bad oh, it is. Yeah. Or or some of those old, you know, old films from from the 40s, 50s, where it's clearly, you know, like a, just a just a video projection on the back and the and they're moving the steering wheel way too much for any kind of like actual driving. That's what it was like. It was so no, it was so terrible. And it took itself way too seriously, too. And I because I was kind that's of the, that's the other thing that I thought about this too is that if you have Lawrence in this like Lawrence is not going to have a late career dramatic this is, he's not going to go Bill Murray he's not I mean like no. it's not it's not going to no. Robin Williams even give him a Wayans brother-esque but smarter parody of these films and it, that could have actually worked because you've got the right you've got Malkovich who can play that for humor for sure but yeah, they didn't. They didn't do that either, and they're just naming it Mind Cage, which is. <laughs> <laughs> so- 
Well, it's so it's so cheesy. Like I mean, the the then the metaphysical aspect of it, moving that into into those that philosophical realm of no, we keep ourselves in these cages. We, we our minds are our own sort of trappings, and it was yeah, it was that sophomore in college that took that one philosophy class who now like has big ideas. <laughs> Ah, yeah. So go seek it out. I don't even know what's streaming. Go seek it out. It, Mind Cage with Martin Lawrence. And if, that, if any of what we just talked about sounded appealing at all. Or if you just want to waste a couple bucks in an afternoon and, and you know, dive headfirst into this film just for fun. Enjoy yourself. Just for fun. It's a good way to end the year. Just for fun. <laughs> and get out of your own mind cage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shuffle off your own mind cage and dive into mind cage. All right, should we do our should we do our five favorite films of the year? Yeah, let's do that. I'm I'm curious before we start though, what kind of criteria did you develop to to pick the to pick these films? It was a 30 point uh, analysis um, based on you know <laughs> this. I have this so fine, like, a, like like a vehicle inspection, right? Yes, yeah. I I, t- I talk about I looked at cinematography, I looked at uh, the script writing, I looked at uh, the time of day it was shot. There's a whole slew of things, and it's it's, it's a very very complex formula. But for the most now part, how I many with- how many points did films lose for not having Martin Lawrence in a serious dramatic role? Yeah, yeah, that's like the original sin, right? You kind of go in understanding that. I mean, basically, none of my films, unfortunately, had Martin Lawrence in them. Um, but uh, so they all kind of had that. They were all on that same sort of curve anyway. So it didn't really matter. But yeah, that, that it. I will say that it's like one of those tests that you might take as a civil servant. If you had been in the military, so you get five extra, 10 extra points. Yeah, if Martin Lawrence is in it, clearly it's going to take it up a notch. But I made my list before I watched Mind Cage. So alas, Mind Cage didn't quite make that list. Oh, it suffers from recency <laughs> bias then. <laughs> in all seriousness, every time I do like something like this at the end of the year, I'm always like reminded of like how much I hadn't seen. Like I might like I get panicky oh, of like, sure. oh shit, there's like I, there's all kinds of good things that I've just like let slip. In the in lieu of like putting together programming for the Real House <laughs> at home found you know the Real House Foundation at home film fest weekly screenings and putting together the, the programming for the actual charity event. It's just I end up watching so much stuff that I just and then I end up like forgetting <laughs> like I haven't seen decision to leave yet. I mean like things like that. Not that I would have made my list necessarily, right. but I mean there's just like there's good films out of coming out of every year. And alas, I've, I could have seen decision to leave and not tar. I could have watched that. I could have done that other, <laughs> the other thing, but sometimes you miss, sometimes you take a hundred, you know, you, you miss every shot. You, you don't take you or whatever. Of the I don't movies know. You don't, you're right. Yeah. Whatever that is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You watch a hundred percent of the movies you see, I think is what we were trying to get to. They, yeah. There were, I was reminded of how many films that I, I, I hadn't seen this year. How many films that I could have watched up until like we're sitting down to record this, but ultimately decided that I just had better things to better things that I that I wanted to use my time for. It's so it's hard. It's, it, one once it starts to feel like, and again, we obviously then we watch a lot of things for the podcast. You guys are welcome. Um, yeah, in yeah, addition to like the things age. Right. Like mind cage in addition to the things that we're actually speaking on. So we can kind of use up anecdotes and things like that. And we're completists and, and 
but in all seriousness, my, my list is really what I had either the most fun watching or enjoyable watching. I didn't really go by intellectual elitism or, you know, sort of like art house flair or anything like that. I mean, like it's not, I, I, these are just films that I had that I really liked. Um, and they're in no really particular order since we, since I, since I rallied against sight and sound last, last correct. week. Correct. 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 <laughs> so I'm just going to go in with that's, this is where this, I am. <laughs> this is the anti-list list, right? I mean, that's what this is. This is our kind of like high fidelity top five. I, I will say know. there's probably not a lot of surprises on my list. I, I there were, I'm not going to be able to pull. There's a, there's a handful of like independent, I mean, the indie films, but that I saw this year that I really liked, but I don't, none of them really made the list. Usually I have, I try to like strive to see the underseen, but in this case, there's a handful, but not, not a ton in the, you know, that I saw. Okay. So I, I don't think this was a very strong year looking back on for movies at all. Um, now there's a lot that I missed, but like overall, if I'm looking over, you know, kind of just at 2022, the stuff that people really gravitated towards, I thought was, I mean, I think was overblown a little bit. There was just a lot of mediocre, but the, there was good. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to say that there wasn't, but I'm not, I don't think 2022 is going to go down as the year of like, you know, summer 85 or 99 or right. you know, any one of those right. incredibly stellar years. Yeah. And you think you can kind of see that with the globes and everything else. It's not like it's, there's nothing. I mean, I, I would imagine if we look at the Oscars in February, what's going to get nominated is what we think is going to get nominated. I mean, I think tar is probably going to be probably the most celebrated film of the year. And then, you know, we'll see how that goes, but I'm, but unless like Babylon knocks socks off people, I, which I haven't seen yet that yet either. And I know the whale just got released, um, the theaters. I haven't seen that. So I figure you'll see the standards come up, but, um, but I figure tar, maybe the whale, maybe Babylon will be the ones that are like, I don't see any sort of indie darlings really coming out of the no. woodworks to, to steal anything like moonlight or no, how about you, no. what, did, what were your criteria? Okay. In this? So my, my criteria, the films I put on this list were the films that made me think and feel and think about those feelings. I mean, I was just, I, I didn't, I didn't pay too much attention to, you know, a lot of the other, I think critical is, you know, like the New York times or film comment or other places. I, I, I mean, I have some of those on here, but not a lot and didn't. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, these were the films that made me think and feel. And I'll tell you what, I'll start with, I'll start with the biggest, the biggest one on my list. And that is Nope, Jordan Peele's film. I I don't know that any film has made me think more than this one uh, this year. I mean, he's really, really trading in so much metaphor and just (laughs) <laughs> metaphors on top of metaphors um in this in this movie and it's such a big movie i think i think it rightly gets compared to close encounters of a third kind it, it's got that kind of that kind of big sort of vibe to it but i really i mean i i, I had a really good time just watching this film and then as I'm watching it, thinking about it, and then continue to just kind of turn it over in my head the longer it's been since I've seen it. Uh, I haven't watched it again, which which I'm looking forward to, but still even having just seen it once in the theaters has been enough to just kind of, again, continue to roll around some of these things that are in the movie. Yeah, I I really... And Nope, nope made my alternate list of things that if we got crossed up, then I would would have added that one onto my list. I don't. I, I wonder if we're. I, I, 
if we're going to really, really appreciate what Peel is doing in his lifetime, like I, because again, I think he right now, as far as like your average movie goer, I think he has kind of a Shyamalan shine to him, like where he seems like he's the same sort of like one, tr- not one trick pony, but he has that same sort of like thematic throughput on all of it, all of his films. Right. I mean, like they're, they're, it's not the twist ending. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I mean, like this, this idea of metaphorical horror that kind of wears that metaphor on its sleeve. And I think he's bigger than that. And of course, that is very different than what Shyamalan did or even Hitchcock did to that extent. I mean, Hitchcock was was great with framing and shooting and and pacing and and you know he was a showman what what keel is doing with the horror genre and with the sci-fi genre is one just so shocking and surprising not because i don't i mean because again coming from key and peel and coming from humor that wasn't always highbrow or and not that it had to be it was funny but it wasn't like i don't think it was like transcendent humor necessarily it wasn't and then him coming and just bursting on to the scene with get out and then us and then nope i think you've seen a an, an audience reaction and we I guess the reason i say that is you see a re- audience reaction where get out is one of those movies that it hits people and it i you can say why it was more successful you can argue why it may have been more successful than the other ones and you know it's does it is it because it stars white people or it uses the white people as as the main kind of plot line and i don't i again i don't really i'm not interested in that conversation per se but what he's doing with his films. I, I think it really it's going to take some time to kind of like sit back and really watch his entire catalog and to see what he comes up with next. Like, and again, he hasn't really faltered at all. There will be a time where he comes out and he's not going to make it. He said one of his films is not going to be as, as great, but I think you've seen it like an audience reaction that's diminished film over film because get out was accessible and yes, there were themes there and yes, it was, but they were, they were easy to wrap your head around. They were obviously easy to point to the Easter eggs. Us is a little bit more esoteric um, and about what he's actually trying to say there. And then no is a little bit different because it's not quite horror, right? It's, it's definitely more sci-fi. It's definitely more, um, it's got, it, also what he's doing is providing this, this vision and in this representation that doesn't or hasn't existed and on the scale that, 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 that he's showing it I, again. I know we mentioned this during the woman King um, episode, but the interactions between Daniel and Kiki Palmer are just so like genuine. And so, and like, and so like real life brother and sister, it's personally people of color, brother and sister. So there's this thing there in addition to the, to the, the plot and the, and the overall, you know, message that he's sending out the, the things that he's doing is, I, you know, I think he will be someone that, you know, when our grandkids have their, why does Wilhelm scream three podcasts? <laughs> Not, not that you and I are going to adopt kids together. I'm just saying. I'm not opposed to. That was that was a weird way to frame that. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a weird way to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how exactly would that never mind <laughs> look the world should, should we start talking more, about names like now <laughs> slightly more progressive yeah exactly 
<laughs> but no, I, I really enjoy it. Uh, I, I, yeah, I haven't watched it over and over again. I watched Get Out and Us quite a bit. Uh, obviously, Us is a lot more visceral from the perspective of just pure horror. Uh, so it makes it a little bit more, you know, again, <laughs> Nope has a lot to unpack, you know, and it's, it doesn't, it's not really, for, it's, I think it's his most challenging film to date. And I don't think it oh, forgives 100%. a lot. But yeah, good, good choice. I, and, and I think that as we go through this list, you'll see kind of a common thread with some of these some of these films the way you mentioned Kalua and 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 palmer and their interaction okay what's your first one my first one is rrr rise roar revolt have you have you heard have you seen this have you heard about i it have or? not seen i have not sa- i i haven't sat down to watch it so i've i've heard about it i've seen a bunch of stuff on it and no i'm still i still haven't watched it I mean, it is, it is an Indian film. It's a Bollywood film. Um, it is a three hour film, but it is, it's about, um, it's about the British occupation during India. There is a Indian policeman who works with the British. Um, the, the British royalty is kind of running roughshod over India. They end up kidnapping, they end up kidnapping is the wrong term. They end up taking this young tribal girl to their home, basically to work as an indentured servant, basically as a play thing. One of her tribes, you know, one of her people goes off and sets off to, to find her and, and he starts wreaking havoc within India. The, there's a British, there's an Indian policeman who works for the British government who sets off to, to stop him. And they, while they're in the same city, they end up saving this young boy's life from a train accident. They become best friends. And then eventually they find out they're, they're, they're mortal enemies and they have to fight. Um, but this movie is just kind of batshit crazy in the sense that it's heavy CGI, the, 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 the two men are essentially superheroes. They're, you know, they're, they're muscular, um, but they also do superhuman bouts of strength. Um, during one big fight at the British like consul embassy palace, they're throwing lions at people They're I mean, like animals are, you know, there's, it's, it's like, they're doing ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it really, and like, and then also you've got all of that coupled with like, the you know your typical singing and dancing sequences in a bollywood film which provides a really good entry point for those types of movies if you've never seen them which if you've never seen them i would recommend you go back to the 60s and early 70s indian films because those are <laughs> those are amazing um but RRR provides you with a, um, oh, I'm also watching this badass action film and, uh, but then seeing it, you know, then seeing this really ridiculously overblown and, and, you know, well choreographed (laughs) dance and song production that you would see, you know, in in just about every Bollywood film. Like if you've seen Slumdog Millionaire, basically the end of Slumdog Millionaire, it's, I mean, it's, you know, it's obviously the same thing, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it is, it is just, it's just a lot of fun to watch. I mean, it's, there's nothing other than just pure pop for three hours but it is it is a blast to sit down and kind of just watch the insanity unfold because again every time you see something you think that they're not gonna be able to top it and then like i said the guy's gonna be throwing a jaguar at another guy's head so to <laughs> it's, it's 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 intense that's a, i want to sit down and watch it i i think yeah i think the time or the length kind of puts me off where i'm i'm like do i want to you know, give up three hours today, today to watch this. But I mean, I like I like action films. Sometimes I like films that deal with you know colonialism or in a kind of like post colonial sense. You know, e- examining 
<laughs> examining those evils, but also examining kind of what happens within those systems as well. So, I mean, it sounds like a really interesting th- and any any film that has people tossing jaguars and, and, and jungle cats at each other. I'm 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 there for. Right. Right. I will say the the three hours is daunting. It is not something that you have to sit down in one sitting to eat. I mean, like you could, you could break it up if you wanted to and come back to it, you know, the the, the next day. Just like falling for Christmas. (laughs) Right. This movie is just like falling for Christmas, which brings me to my number two, falling for Christmas. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Here's my number two is Petite Maman. Uh, Celine Shiama's latest film where basically a, a, a young girl, I think she's eight years old, is at mourning the loss of her maternal grandmother and her mother is not handling it very or not taking it very well. And the little girl eventually runs into another little girl in the woods out, beh- out behind their their house. And it is a younger version of her mother. Um, and they become best friends and they build a fort out of sticks and it's really kind of charming and whimsical and you know this question of who who are who were our parents how do we see them how, what is that relationship about it's it's just it's nice it's it's an intimate kind of delicate film and it takes a look at the world, the adult world through kind of, you know, uh, the eyes of a curious child. And so I really had, have you had a chance to see that one? Have you, I have not yet. No, it's on my list, but I have not seen it yet. Yeah. It sounds, I, I will sit down and watch any, any kind of any, any, any Celine Shiama film I'm going to watch. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's different from her other films in that it doesn't have the heaviness or some of the seriousness that that the themes of of, of gender or or even like queer identity, um, uh, you know, carry in some of those earlier films. But, but this is still just as as serious, I think, in a different way. Yeah, no, Check sounds that. awesome. I mean, I don't mean that. Is that sounds like I, when I say that it sounds like I'm being facetious, but no, I, it's been on my list for a while. I've, I've wanted to check it out. It's just, I just haven't, I was too busy. Why? I couldn't, cause I couldn't, I was still watching RRR when I, cause this is I a short one. I forget, I, I forget how long this is, but I think it's like around 80 minutes or something. So it's not very, it's, it's sort of like the anti RRR. <laughs> right. <laughs> I it's, like, it's, it's, it's like eating broccoli. You actually get time back in your life. If you watch Petit Mama. <laughs> my next one is uh i'm gonna go with everything everywhere all at once i know this is probably a lot of top 10 list ones but i really i i like the daniels film i like swiss army man a lot i i like and so obviously i haven't seen it you know it's uh about a woman who's put upon she's got a lot of thing you know bad stuff going on in her life bad stuff going on and she's she's just she's coming on middle age and and her husband's not who she thought he should be she's not who she thought she should be her daughter's kind of and she stumbles upon you know a a multi-dimensional multiverse of herself and realizes that across the multiverse that uh she's a badass. She's all kinds of different things. And that, um, even to the point where she's got hot dog fingers and she's bisexual or, you know, or she's a rock. And, you know, it's, I know it's, this may be, this may be the easiest choice on my list from perspective of like, this is going to make other top 10 lists and things like that. I think there's one other one on here that, that is as well, but, um, but this was so much like, I, you know, in a, in a, in a time where, 
like I, this would have been a movie, I guess, in, in a non-COVID time, I think would have gotten kind of swept under the radar. Um, I don't know if this, I mean, I, I know A24 would have still put it out. I think people would have really enjoyed it. I don't think it would have, if it hadn't have had the ability to kind of sit in theaters for a while and come out the same time around, like as Shang-Chi and, and like before Top Gun Maverick. And it had a little bit of time to, to build some legs and some word of mouth to it. And it was able to actually sit in theaters. I think that helped it out quite a bit, but it's obviously, you know, um, having, uh, um, uh, Kwan come back, you know, and just kind of re, you know, and I apologize if I'm saying his name wrong. Um, his, uh, you know, resurrect his acting career and finally get a call and, and him, you know, obviously there's a lot of good story and good feeling around that movie, but it really was, it's, it was just, to me, it was really inventive. Um, it was really well done. It wore its heart on its sleeve. It, it paid great tribute to its actors that were in it. I mean, uh, Jimmy Lee Curtis is great. Uh, Michelle Yeoh is great. James Hong is great. Uh, so, I mean, it was just, it was just a lot of fun. And I mean, I felt my, you know, just one of those movies that when it was over, I was really, really giddy about having seen it. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is a fantastic film. I think I put this on my alternate list in case we had like crossovers, but I, Michelle Yao is so good in this and it, she just shows this, this film lets her do everything she's good at. Even if she hasn't made it right. to do those in other films, but it just lets her do everything. And she is so great at all of it. I mean, I don't think no one else could have played that role. And, and maybe no. I'm saying that because right, <laughs> because now she's kind of embodied that. But I don't think it works with with anyone else. Yeah. And they dance the line of like, obviously, you know, hot dog fingers and turning into a rock or, you know, and, 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 and fighting with butt plugs and dildos. And like, you know, it's just, I mean, but I think, you know, but they were able to make a movie about a, a farting Daniel Radcliffe being a heartfelt, beautiful right. movie about mental health. And, and so to be, I, I those guys, Again, I, I, you know, you, you sit back and you think uh, uh, who really are like the potential greats of your era. And not, I mean, I, I know that there's the, both appeal and the Daniels are, are still a few films in, but it's like it's exciting to see what those guys will come up with next for sure. Yeah. And I, I think these guys, I think the Daniels really lean into that sense of, um, I guess, absurdism or or surrealism or ridiculousness. Right. I mean, they just really, they just really own it. And so I think it works because of that. Right. I mean, I think, you know, like you said, the hot dog fingers or the farting Daniel Radcliffe because they own it, because they take it really, they take it seriously without it being heavy. Right. right. I mean, they, it's not it's like not they, it's not like they, it's fine. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a really fine line of the comedy. I mean, to step on you there, but it's a really fine line of the comedy that they're playing because they don't ever play it. They play it. I don't know. It just seems like they're playing it to the right degree on everything that they try. And yes, I do think you're sitting there in the theater thinking that, oh, man, OK, hot dog fingers and mustard coming out. That's ridiculous. But you're still willing to buy it. And the, the because the I guess their actors trust in them, you know. Again, if, if you if you're watching a farting Daniel Radcliffe and a Paul Dano riding him across the ocean, that's a triumphant <laughs> scene. And that and I know we're not talking about Swiss Army Man, but that's but the way that they're able to skirt that line of of never like losing you in the moments where you 
in a, in a, in a less steady hand, you definitely would be lost. You, you, you would have found yourself outside of the movie. They're able to skirt that line somehow. And it's impressive. Good pick. Okay. Okay. My next one is Joanna Hogg's latest eternal daughter with Tilda Swinton, Tilda Swinton playing two roles. Um, it, this is, this is speaking of year for Swinton. Swinton. Like Swinton was in everything yeah. this year. People are finally starting to see her worth. Jason. Yeah, it's, nice. it's nice to see she's getting some recognition. She's finally <laughs> getting recognition. Um, the Eternal Daughter is is kind of in the souvenir universe where Tilda Swinton plays a filmmaker named Julie. Maybe not the same Julie from the souvenir, but still same job, same name. Right. And she also plays Tilda Swinton also plays Julie's mother in this film as she does in the souvenir film. So yeah. Anyway, they go, they go to spend the mother's birthday at a castle, small castle in, in Wales. And, and that's kind of, I mean, that's it. They have dinner. They stay at this hotel. I mean, this is, this is a film that examines really, I think two things, parent child relationships, you know, how, how perhaps we become a version of our parents, whether we mean to or not, um, how we start to see similar qualities in each other, how we start to understand each other in ways that weren't possible at earlier ages. Uh, and then how we sort of miss these loved ones once they're gone, how we mourn them, what we what we remember, what we regret. And the film also raises the question of who has the right to tell someone else's story for art's sake, right? Who has the right to make art out of someone else's life? I mean, I would say everyone does, but but that's just me. Um, it's it, it's a kind of ghost story. I mean, she is really playing with with like the haunted house tropes and the ghost story tropes. And you kind of and I'm not going to give anything away with this film, but you you sort of you know what's coming. And even though you know what's coming, it's still effective and it's still moving and you still sort of, you know, fight back a little bit of the tears. I, I think this, I mean, this was a COVID production as, as well. And you can tell because there's like four people total like, like in this, in this right. movie and a dog in a, in a dog, but it's really, it's good. And a, and a lot of the same Joanna Hogg kind of, you know, calling cards, uh, the way she frames these shots, her, her use of kind of muted colors, um, playing with the landscape as well. It's great. All of these films so far have, have a kind of familial relationship, right? <laughs> Baked into the, to the plot. That's not going to go away. Spoiler alert for the rest of the films. All right. And All you right. can read more about that at sometimes sad.com. <laughs> <laughs> it is Christmas time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, my, my number three is called something in the dirt, uh, by Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson. Uh, it is a very, very small independent film, um, which I said I didn't do, but I looked back on my list and I forgot this one was on there. Um, they, they, <laughs> most, they, uh, did movies called like one's called the endless. The other one's called spring. I think you can find those on shutter and Netflix. Um, if not, I'm not hundred percent sure if spring's still around, but they do these kind of think PC sci-fi films. This movie is about, um, uh, two men who live in this apartment complex in LA. Um, one, you know, one's kind of a drifter, one's uh, a 
a little bit more put together than the other one. Um, but these kind of unnatural phenomenon start happening in, in, in their apartment or in one of their apartments. And they start to, uh, they, they have this idea of, of capturing it on videotape and making a documentary. And all the while you're kind of watching that documentary unfold, but it's a, but it's a, you know, it's a, a movie about, um, you know, them, their relationship and it kind of ebbing and flowing and growing and falling apart. And it, it's just a really fun little sci-fi movie that I have really kind of an affinity for these movies that are just, you know, two handers that don't have a lot of budget, but know how to do what they do well with their special effects. Um, this, the plot, I will say this about the plot in the, in the movie as a whole is in these movies. If you're looking for for neat and tidy resolutions, you're probably barking up the wrong tree. It's kind of like primer in the sense where it's going to make you think a little bit. This one's a little funnier and then, than primer. Um, it's, it's, it's different, but it doesn't wrap everything up for you in a neat little bow. It, 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 uh, makes you work for it in a sense. And then, um, throughout the, throughout the plot of the film, you know, uh, basically they've been, they've been filming this phenomenon and trying to get it to escalate so it can kind of build to a crescendo for their, for their documentary and, and things start to fall apart and they start recreating footage. So a lot of it is, did it happen? Did it not happen? Kind of, um, back and forth and they start bringing in extras and actors and things like that. But it, it is, it's along the same lines of like the endless in spring. It's, it's, but it was a lot of, I really, really enjoyed it. I was like kind of just drawn in while watching it in the theater um just drawn into really really loving their stories and loving the back and forth and these and these two guys it really ultimately you know it's this is another covid production as well where these these guys were just in an apartment together um not being able to make bigger movies and just made this one because they wanted to make movies with their friends and still hang out so anyway something in the dirt is my number three Listeners who may notice a dip in audio production quality, we are recording this remotely, so I'm doing my best. Right. We sincerely apologize, but, you know, obviously, probably the, the less you can hear us is honestly better for everyone involved. So, yeah. And let's be honest, you're not paying for this. So, <laughs> yes, it, it's, it's worth every penny that you're paying for it. Right. I mean, what do you want for free? Okay, back back to the list here. My next one is Koganada's film After Yang, uh, starring Colin Farrell and Jodie Turner Smith. Um, I look Koganada makes these slow, intimate films that are just gorgeous to look at. I, I thought I loved Columbus when I saw it. These, you know, the tension, what it is in, in, in his films come from these in small, quiet moments. You know, architecture gets used as an objective correlative in Columbus. And in after Yang, it's kind of an examination of AI, objects, technology. At the center is a kind of examination of panpsychism. You, you know, looking at, you know, do these things that we use every day do they have feelings? I mean, that's a little kind of wishy-washy way to put it. It's, right. it's, it's much more kind of in depth than that. But, um, I mean, I really like the questions that it kind of raises of how we use, how we use the technology we use every day and, and what counts as technology and where is technology going? And when we see Yang, Yang is like a robotic sibling, right? For Colin Farrell right. and Jody Turner Smith's, um, daughter Mika. And, you 
you know, Colin Farrell discovers his memory bank and he sees like this whole life that that this robotic sibling had and that he was in a relationship and that he got sad and that he had these attachments attachments to people, but also to a, a specific song. Um, it's really it's really moving and beautiful and and and. I really like I really like Koganata's work, um, starting even with his, you know, video essays examining film. So, yeah. Speaking of another person who's having quite the year, I think Farrell, if Farrell doesn't walk away with an Oscar this year for one of these roles, uh, the other being the Banshees and a Sharon, I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, right. I mean, and uh, Banshees didn't make my list. I really, really liked that movie, but. And I think Farrell was phenomenal in both of these. And I'm, it's, it's funny to think back when we tried to make him an action star. Not that he wasn't halfway decent as an action star, but like putting him in the, you know, in Total the Total Recall, Recall remake and, and, and just, and like things like Phone Booth and, and what the recruit and it, you have this, talent that I think take a minute for him to even find. I mean, and obviously I know why you make those movies, right? They, they back a dump truck full of money up to your door. And, it's, and then like, I'm sure they're going to say, yeah, you're going to work with Pacino and, I mean, and, 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 you know, it's fine. Just, yeah. Hello, do cool this. <laughs> and, and again, like another, a, a, another monster pairing that we've all been waiting for is Al Pacino and LL Cool J together. I do think Alan Farrell but, was under, was under some of the influence of cocaine and making some of those movies as well. True. I, I do. I do recall that being a factor. Um, but I mean, like I, I just, I watched him in Banshees and was just, was just blown away by like how beautiful that role really was. Um, and how, you know, and how beautiful he is in it. And, and in the same with after Yang, I just, yeah, I just, at least like, if anyone's having like really breakout years that we should pay attention to, obviously it's, um, Lydia from tar. <laughs> I mean, we need to be careful with her. We definitely need to be careful with her because she, she can get out of control, but then it's also, yeah, it's also Colin Farrell. So well done. Well done. Uh, are we ready for my number four? We are. All right. My number four is Marcel the shell with shoes on. I, uh, and again, this may be kind of a, you know, I obviously, there's something about Jenny Slate in that voice, (laughs) which is just kind of like heartwarming anyway. But, and I, you know, I had been a fan of the shorts when they first came out. Um, I, I think, you know, had this been a Disney movie, had this to me should have been in a year that was actually had quite a few decent and, and, and I say shouldn't say decent. I had some really, really good family movies come out. I think Encanto was really good. I think Turning Red was really good. Um, the Sea Beast on on Netflix was actually really good as well. But this one stood out to me as as just and I saw this in a, in a theater full of people right as it was coming out in the Oak Cliff Film Festival. Um, and it, it really, this was a movie that needed to be seen, I think, with a group of people kind of crying and like, and just, and kind of feeling the emotional, um, and, and the comedy of this movie is, and they did such a really good job, not only with the special effects and how it was, I mean, you know, how it was all filmed and played out and in the, in the structure in which it was played out, but just staying true to that kind of innocent wonder and, um, really the beautiful, the beauty, I, I, if you, you know, the one is complaint you know is it gets a little too 
I guess meta in a way where it's just, you know, where everyone's looking for Marcel's, Marcel's family. If it had stayed kind of insular, it may have been a little bit better. I mean, like it would have been more of an emotional punch, but I, but ultimately I, I really, really had a lot of fun with it. And, and I think, like I said, if this had been a Disney production rather than a 24 production, which it, this would have been, this would have made money hand over fist. And we'd be looking at Marcel lunchboxes and people with Marcel, you know, hoodies and, and, you know, Marcel dolls, and they would have marketed the shit out of this. I mean, that probably would have detracted from it, to be quite honest. But this movie deserved to be a hundred million dollar film that people go back to and talk about and revisit with their grandparents and their and their family member. Again, talking about and I know it's not it's not an art. I, mean, I guess you could say it's kind of an art house film. But I mean, for if you're wanting to make, you know, one of these movies for that can reach a, an audience of kids that's not so heavy handed and not heavy handed is the wrong term, but not so heavy and not, you know, not encapsulated in an art house shell, if you will. <laughs> one for this, right? I mean, and again, I know you have the same themes in a lot of kids movies, but I mean, this one where it seems more real, obviously, because there's a realness to the to the to the character. I mean, there's a tactile realness to the character. And I mean, I know he's not real, but um, but no, I don't hope I'm not spoiling anything for anybody out there uh, that Amal can actually talk. But and again, I'm just drawn in. I love like there's yeah, ads on hell, even ads on YouTube. I think there's 824 ads on YouTube that are that's selling the Marcel uh, figurine, and it's I mean it's, it's still cute. I don't know, like, it gets me. I like it. Yeah, I was I was a big fan of this film. I was a big fan of of the YouTube shorts when they first came out. Um, I think the the one thing I mean, look, Brock might get sad sometimes, but I don't <laughs> I don't I don't cry very often. So uh, everyone around me when I saw it in the theater too, they, everyone around me was crying as well. I think the one thing not to not to talk bad about marcel the shell the one thing that maybe was a detractor for me was i thought it was a little too sentimental the sentimentality was a little too much but i think that is in that's an after effect of making those youtube shorts into a a narrative feature length film but no i i mean i i loved it too i'm i'm surprised that it wasn't that it hasn't continued to get bigger and bigger, but yeah, I think, yeah, I think yeah, it's, it's great as well. <laughs> to me, it's pretty inexplicable, honestly. I mean, for, for, you know, especially as you like, and not that I'm championing this, this, this mindset, but as the, as you get um, people who are having Disney backlash for whatever, there, this is a, I mean, this is a movie that, that really speaks to everyone. It speaks to family. I mean, it's, it's weird to me that it's not more beloved. I'm not sure why, it didn't strike a chord the way that I thought it would for whatever reason. I mean, like again, because it, there's no, there's no message here that, that people, uh, you know, unless you're just anti-mollusk or, or you're just, <laughs> or anthropomorphized, uh, anti-family. Right. Right. Or unless you're anti-family, which I mean, it could be the case. I don't know, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Just, it seems to me that this, 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 this should have, could have been bigger and for whatever reason it's not. Okay. So speaking of being an anti-family, my last, <laughs> My last film on this list is After Sun. And I know we've talked about this before. Um, and obviously you see the theme in all of these films that I didn't realize until I put them together. But there's all this right. like child parent relationship 
you know, themes, how we, <laughs> how we relate to our parents, how we relate to our kids, um, how we relate to our siblings. But, you know, this, this film of, about a father and daughter vacation, a film about grief, a film about loss, a film about how we remember those that are gone, how our memories and experience kind of intersect, fade into one another. I, I just find this film to be really, really fresh in its attempt to create kind of its own cinematic language, um, the way it plays with time. Uh, the way it frames Callum is so, Callum as Sophie remembers him, how it leaves out some of what she doesn't know for sure and how, how it kind of fills in some of the other things as well. Oh, I love this movie. Yeah, I've never seen like and maybe I'm just missing it. Maybe, it's, maybe you know, obviously I haven't seen every movie, but like this coming of age story framed in the in in the uh, aftermath, not aftermath, but the actual happening of a, of a parent who's passing and you're remembering it. Um and, and it, it was it's it was such a beautiful, quiet, you know, unassuming film in, in the moments where it, but there were moments where it was assuming and like it, where it was kind of in your like it did want to draw you out and, and provide some sort of emotional punch to it. But I, I like I said, I know we talked about it again, like you said, we talked about it, but the, the some of how just how it was framed, it was such a confident first film. And I know that she's done shorts and and this is not like it's the first time that she's ever stepped behind a camera, but it's it's very, but to, to pull off the things that she pulled off and, and to, and to show this and to, and to have two people, one very young person pull off this type of role, which requires so much of her is, is just really, really impressive. Yeah. I, I was, I was, I was really taken aback after we watched it. Cause it was, yeah. it really was, it really was great. Yeah. And I, I think, it, you know, like you said, even though this isn't the first time she stepped behind the camera, she does it with so much confidence. I mean, she really goes for it. And, and this, this makes it sound like it's showy and it's not showy. You know, some of the, some of the <laughs> devices that she uses, some of the way that she shows or that she frames these characters is just, it's so slick and it's so smart. And I was rewatching it and, and I had forgotten that there's one scene that starts being filmed through a camcorder and the camcorder gets turned off. And then we watch the rest of the scene through the reflection on a TV screen, but then also on the mirror behind the TV screen. Yeah. And I was like, that's fucking incredible. And it's ballsy because that could yeah. easily come off as heavy handed, right? Or as a little too showy and it doesn't. And so I think, yeah, it's that confidence with which she goes for stuff like that and then how it, how it actually comes off. So yeah, I'm excited to see what she does, what she does after this. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Uh, very much so. Okay. My last one is Charlotte, other- Charlotte Wells is her name. I'm sorry. Charlotte Wells is the director's name. I think you said it earlier, <laughs> but yeah. Okay. <laughs> my last one is the other film that you and I saw in theaters this year together, which I guess we saw three because we saw Crimes of the Future. Um, and then we saw other things. We saw Glass. I don't know why I'm saying why I'm characterizing. Maybe it was just, just you and me. <laughs> God! Wow! You know when our grand when our grandkids talk about this, this, this <laughs> story, about the, yeah, they're going to be very like, confused hey, about what actually when, remember, what when, remember when the grandpas went to go see movies? <laughs> <laughs> That's how they first met. <laughs> uh, I'm just thinking of like a sitcom premise of my two podcasting <laughs> grandfathers. <laughs> 
They're not really grandfathers. <laughs> the grandkids aren't really related, but still. It's a, it's a really convoluted theme song that explains the premise of the show. <laughs> the, 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 the theme song is like the entire length of the episode. It's That's just all it is. Right. <laughs> once, once a week you get the theme song that explains the relationship and like that's it because you, it's so kind of like you forget each week and then you have some you remind them. Wait a minute, what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah, what's happening? <laughs> right. Right, right. They're grandkids, but not really. And the grandparents aren't. <laughs> so my my last my number five is Neptune Frost. Yeah, um, yeah. From a from a from a movie perspective, that I'm still like uh, not a hundred percent sure of what I watched. Uh, you know, I, I, we talked about this in the Woman King episode as well. But this is kind of an Afro futuristic, uh, techno sci fi. Musical and it it is confounding. Um, it is really I don't know. It's beautiful. It's you know. There's it's progressive, uh, but it also is, is infuriating at times. I mean, there, mm-hmm. it, the movie literally says about 15 minutes in what the fuck is going on. Essentially, to <laughs> do you do know what's going on? And the answers are resounding no, but but it's so incaptivating. It's it's so it's so captivating. It's so enthralling that um, I mixed those two words together when I said them previously. Is that's how good it is? No, it's it's just so. <laughs> it is so. Is so like I said, you can't take your eyes off of it. And and the the I, you know when we first stepped away from it, you know there were things that were kind of on the nose that I thought I that were annoying. But going back and watching it again, it you know, those are lessons because I want, I know that they're coming and I can kind of forgive them again. I wouldn't necessarily go so far as to say that this is going to be on anybody else's list, but I definitely think this is a movie that people should seek out and watch and see what they think and take away from it. It is a, you, it, because again, it's one of those films you, it's very rare to say that you will not ever see, not ever, but you will not see another film like this, this year. It is so different. It is so like, again, you know, confident what it's trying to say. And it's, like I said, it's, it's set in a universe that no other film is going to be set in that these types of movies are the ones, again, you want a back pocket movie, the one that you can pick out and say, Hey, throw this on the table and let's all watch this together. You should go watch this and tell me what you think about it. Neptune Frost is absolutely it. And it's, and, and not, not to the point of like, it has to be like this gimmick, but it really, it is, it's like I said, it was, a revelation and I'm glad we kind of stumbled on it while we were trying to go see Cronenberg's latest. Yeah, I, I think it's absolutely fantastic. And I don't, I tend to agree with you in parts where it's not always successful, but even those moments are worth watching and worth seeing what the filmmakers are doing. I mean, this is a kind of, I mean, it's really a kind of performance piece more than it is a a film. And so I think for that reason, I'm, I think much more willing to sort of let a lot of things go or let a lot of things that I think we would hold other films, you know, hold, hold, hold their feet to the fire or whatever to kind of forgive those and, 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 and let them go. I, yeah, I think it's fantastic. It was going to be on my list, but because I, I I brought it up during the, the woman King episode, I, I, I left it off and, and, and sort of figured we'd, I I thought one of us would put it on there because it really (laughs) is, it really is just, 
such a unique experience to to watch that. It's streaming on the Criterion channel. If you have that, I, oh, I think you can. Was, rent I, it. I need to watch it again. Then I didn't yeah. know it was on there yet. Yeah. So yeah, um, that was. And I, 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 man, I hope they release that as a as a Criterion Blu-ray. That would be a really really fun one to have. And just just to well, kind I of think dig it deserves in special it. features. Absolutely, absolutely. That's the type yeah. of film that I mean that that Criterion could pump up right and and bring light to. Uh, with a really, really special release. I think that'd be a lot of, that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, what were your other, what were your alternative selections oh. while we're, we don't have to talk about them. We can just kind of rattle them off. And- sure. So let me find them here. Um, so what I put under like honorable mention, <laughs> I had decision, I had decision to leave. I had the worst person in the world, the woman King, um, men and crimes of the future. Nice. You liked Crimes of the Future better than I did. Um, I had, I just had a few. I had Nope on my list as well. I had The Banshees of Inisherin, and then I had um, Pearl by Ty West, the nice horror nice. movie follow up from for actually the prequel to X. So yeah, so those yeah. are my other ones. So yeah, I mean, like I said, I you know I I yeah, I'm not. I, I think there are good there are gems to be found. I think it's it's still weird to me that a certain that like Glass Onion and. I mean, I understand why tar is being touted. I get that. I mean, it, look, we're we're naysayers at heart anyway. I mean, that's fine. And, the, and, the, and that film definitely deserves some naysayers. It shouldn't be received with universal acclaim. It has better naysayers than us as well. So oh, we are not the only naysayers. And it has yeah, smarter <laughs> naysayers than us. So... <laughs> That's a good name for our podcast. Smarter naysayers than us. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was just putting us in the cool kids camp. So. Right. That's all we really want to be is, is that, yeah, because you remember the cool kids hate everything and that's where we are. Uh, also we're <laughs> Gen X. So we hate everything anyway. Right. Right. We're just in a general state of malaise and we hate everything. Malaise and ennui. And I still <laughs> don't understand the love for glass onion. I, I, that will befuddle me for a really long time. The laziness of the writing of that movie is, is, was just awful. And so, yeah, I don't, I mean, I, so that, what that, if that gets awards and, 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 rec- and accolades and recognition, I, I, I don't understand that because it's, it, that speaks to the year that 2022 is, if that's the case, is that it's, there's just, there's just shit out there that, that shouldn't be, <laughs> that just shouldn't yeah. be. Right. And we just, we just listed off 10 plus films that are well worth your time. Right. Absolutely. Well worth your time to watch much, much more so than Glass Onion. I mean, I, I, I'm not even sure that I would watch Glass Onion over Mind Cage. <laughs> no, because I mean, like with Mind Cage, right? I mean, like, I hesitate to say that that's the best that they could do, but like at least Mind Cage, I don't know. I mean, they're they're kind they, of the they, same. There's not the sense of laziness in Mind Cage that there is in Glass Onion. Right. I can forgive the the. The, the the drop threads of, <laughs> of of trying to throw everything at the wall and seeing what sticks in a movie and then just really I'm gonna name drop and and uh, cameo my way to what appears to be jokes right that Glass right. Onion does so Julian anyway, Flynn wrote this for me yeah you can <laughs> fucking tell the less we say about Glass Onion which is probably not gonna happen yeah. the better. Mm-hmm. 
So let's let's get into our because I'm really really excited to talk about both of these films. Yeah, um, me too. Let's talk about our white not a white elephant, but our gift our film gift exchange for 2022. Yeah. Uh, do you who wants to go first? I don't get doesn't matter to me. We 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 um we want to do prisoner funeral parade of roses or do you want to do Athena first? Let's do funeral parade of roses because it's first on my like notes here. So okay. this is this is the film that you gifted me and I'm very grateful for this for this gift. So this is Funeral Parade of Roses, a 1969 Japanese film directed by Toshia Matsumoto. Uh, look, basically the story, I'll just give kind of a quick, a quick kind of synopsis. The story follows Eddie, a trans woman, and her kind of daily trials and tribulations. Uh, she works at a place called the Bar Genet with other transgender women. And they're kind of hostesses, right? They're, they're there to sort of entertain the clientele. If something takes place or transpires with the clientele outside of the bar, I think that's fine. It's not frowned upon. She is yeah, having an affair. Like, sorry, I, sorry, I'm going to step on you. It seems like being like like the, indulging in gay culture is kind of in vogue in Japan at this particular point in time. Whether that was true in 1969, I can't imagine that actually being true. But the film posits that that a, a lot of heterosexual males frequent these bars full of what the, in the film they call gay boys. Um, I know that's not necessarily <laughs> passe at this point, but that's what the film positions them right. as, and also trans women. And it's really seen as somewhat of a kind of a hipster uh, populist kind of thing to be doing at the time. Yeah, this seems so I, <laughs> when I was when I was still drinking, when I was still going out to bars, I would I would end up at a lot of at a lot of gay bars. I had I had gay and lesbian friends and you'd run into people when you're out drinking as as one does and 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 you'd end up you know, different different types of bars. It it was always another bar. It wasn't it wasn't kind of a curio object. It wasn't a thing to to sort of say, oh, look where I am. Oh, my gosh, this is so odd and different. It was just another place to go. But that's kind of the vibe that I got from this film was that the people coming to this bar were going to the bar because they like going to the bar. And yes, I think there is. Um, and, and, and I'm going to get into this too, but there is a kind of examination of gay culture in Japan at the time in the film. And there is a kind of, there's a kind of curiosity, but it doesn't seem, it seems like a genuine curiosity rather than, you know, a, a judgmental curiosity. Right. It's not mocking. And, and, right. Right. And so that was, you know, like you see. In, in one scene, you see a kind of a, a, you see a man and his wife walk into this bar and they're just, you know, they don't gawk. They don't sort of stare. They almost seem like they're known, but they they, they go in, they sit, they have drinks, they socialize. And and, and so th- and this is one of the things that I really liked about this film. I, I love this film, by the way. But one of the things I really liked about this film was that there wasn't that kind of judgment that it was just every day. Eddie, Eddie, as a trans woman, walks along the streets just as she is. 
right? She, you know, she goes out with friends, right? As they are. And like, that's it. And, and you, you see men hit on them. You see men, you know, ask for dates, but you never see anybody say anything derogatory. You never see anybody. The um, only time that you do, and it's presented, you know, in a sense of, uh, empowerment for Eddie and his crew or her crew, excuse me, it was when the women call them fags. And then, you know, and again, right. that's, and, and she's, and, and get into a cat fight with them. And because uh, you, you, what yeah. you're it, supposed to take away from that, obviously, is that Eddie and her crew are more women than the, are they're more attractive right. or they're, they're taking over the spot of what the Japanese women who are born biologically women right. um, are, you know, and so there's, there's a, there is a, um, you know, a competitiveness and obviously a jealousy there from what Eddie is able to, to, to accomplish. But even, even that fight scene, even that fight was set up by the friend of Lita, who, who Eddie is kind of like taking her place. Uh, right. So that was even kind of like an arranged, you know, violent confrontation. And, and, and so I love the, the three cis women who, who fight Eddie and her friends. I love their little, um, kind of like, I don't know, gang sign or like kind of, yeah. um, you know, gang stacking that they do before they fight. It's just this choreographed kind of movement <laughs> of, of them showing how tough they are. It was okay. So, so Eddie, I just kind of like mentioned Eddie's having an affair with Gonda who owns the bar. Gonda's in a relationship with Lita, who's sort of like the head girl, right? The head mistress at the bar. Yeah, it's like when there's Eddie, it's kind of La Caja Falls, right? I mean, there's there's a there's a act that goes on during and and so basically Eddie is trying to position for for being the lead of of whatever this or you know whatever this uh, establishment is and yeah. to be the kind of the lead show person, the people you know the, the 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 main draw of of the establishment. So this film bounces around timeline wise a, a, a lot, and so but we've we we see at a certain point in the film that. When Eddie was a child, as a young boy, she was abused by her father. And then the father then abandons Eddie and her mother. At at one point, Eddie tells her mother that, you know, look, mom, dad's gone, but at least you still have me. And the mom laughs, right? Laughs at the the young boy, Eddie. Later on, she she watches her mother with another man and she comes in and stabs and kills both, both of them. As an adult, we see Eddie and Gonda leave an apartment. We see Eddie see Lita, who sees them, kind of, you know, after their after their tryst. This kind of sets off a, a sort of panic attack in in Eddie, and she's walking along the street. She kind of encounters a protest. She stumbles into an art exhibition that is all about masks, and there is a a voiceover within the exhibition talking about how people wear two, three masks to hide from loneliness, right? To, to present something else to other people so that they're not alone, so that they can be, I think, accepted. I mean, and and this is clearly sort of a a bigger metaphor in the film as well. She also runs into her friend Guevara, who looks like Che Guevara, (laughs) except his beard is glued on, (laughs) which is, which is a a great touch, but he's, he's an underground filmmaker. Uh, Again, part of this artistic community that Eddie is also part of. And so, you know, he finds her and sort of helps her 
uh, you know, through the rest of the day. I think, you know, at, as it goes on. And so this is the other thing about this film there. We are actually watching like three films. Yeah. <laughs> so there we see. So the film that we're. The film that we're watching, Funeral Parade of Roses, we're watching that film that stars Eddie doing all these things. We also have these kind of intercuts of a documentary that's being made about what they call gay boy culture, but which also seems to be a documentary about the film that we're watching. Right? Right, right, yeah. And then we see Guevara's film, who he's making kind of like, you know, an, an experimental an experimental film sort of about the same thing. Uh, right, right. And, and so there's all that stuff going on, which is which is great. It, it's kind of all like cut between in and, and, and again, this this film just it bounces around everywhere and it, and it reminds me of what Godard said that a story needs to have a beginning, middle and end, just not necessarily in that order. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's very, I think, you know, one way, one way to, to watch this. So, I mean, kind of back to this idea of the idea of a plot, we see earlier, earlier moments of like Eddie out doing regular things with, with, with her friends, other trans, other trans women, and there's this great shot of, I think there's four of them and they're all, you know, in the, in the restroom standing at urinals together, like in their skirts. And it's just a great, I mean, it's, it's a really cool composed shot, but again, this kind of statement of, of sort of who they are. Okay. So at a certain point, that fight with the gang after that fight, Gonda goes to Lita's and Lita expresses this kind of like faux concern of Eddie and Gandhi gets pissed and sort of, I think implies that, you know, he's leaving, leaving her for Eddie. Lita then is later found having committed suicide um, on her bed and surrounded by roses on the floor. Eddie finds two dolls, one with a nail through its chest and one with two nails through its eyes. After Lita's funeral, Eddie and Gonda are, are together. Gonda finds a diary that contains a photo of Eddie as a young boy with her parents. There's a hole burned through the father's face, but Gonda recognizes Eddie's mother as his lover, as his former wife, and realizes that Eddie is his child. Gonda kills himself with a knife. Eddie seeing the aftermath, and she too realizes what's happened, what's what's been implied. She stabs her eyes out with the same knife and wanders out into a crowd gathered in the street. I mean, the base for this film, the very base is is Oedipus. Oedipus right. um, yeah. But again, but but again, that narrative has been queered. And, 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 and right. we've talked about this before, but, but that, yeah, the Oedipus narrative is, is queered in this instance. And, you know, she kills her mother and, and sleeps with, with her father in, in a different way. I, I absolutely love this, this movie. Yeah. It's and shot it, in this like really gorgeous contrasty black and white as well. Yeah. And, and it does all of these, all of the, the filmmaking styles, <laughs> that you see in the in the variety of films that are that are in the movie I, so as you're watching and, and you know as we're talking about it it may sound more confusing it really is not I, it, the way that it's able to construct all of this is really really amazing so at certain points 
you are watching a scene in a you know in in particular one sex scene um and then you pull back and you see the, the you know the film crew you you uh in in the bedroom scene um you know and you see eddie writhing around on the bed obviously not having sex but just but looking like they're having sex in there and then they get you know, they, they provide Eddie her clothes after, after the scene is over. So you're basically taking a step back and watching the film that you were just watching and you were seeing as a sex scene, taking it back and looking at it, at it from a perspective of the film being made. There's all these other devices that they use. You know, they, he speeds up the camera to, for comedic effect. And one of the through lines in this movie is that there's this drug epidemic happening in Japan and there's, you know, so there's drug trade going on with Ganda as well. And he's hiding drugs and and, and bases and, and, hiding them from the cops there's one scene uh where the two kind of diva women are arguing with one another and they're basically calling each other names but but voice bubbles pop up on the screen rather than and it, and it's it, it's just so it's so fanciful and like whimsical and 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 like you said the 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 Godard black and white and the way that this is filmed it is it it, it is just so gorgeous to watch and to watch these like you know scenes of people kissing and engaged with one another the, the orgy scene where they're dancing around is is so much mm-hmm. fun too and again mm-hmm. all of this it sounds like it's salacious but really none of that none of it is ever like we talked about before none of it ever played as mocking none of it is ever played as as like like where you see something like when again i know that this has been talked about mainly by the actresses but like you see something where like on where you see a movie like blue is the warmest color which can be played as kind of like exploitative right where it's where it's really just for the male gaze this is not like this is all and what's crazy is this is 1969 this movie is being made and like the attitudes of you know what you would believe most people have in their head of a, of a J- japanese culture which has got to be stodgy and uptight and 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 all about you know social mores and, and morality and 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 to where this is the under, you know, not an underbelly. This is this is you know this is a, a totally normal, acceptable, accepted uh, facet of life. I, I think it's really too also the way that this is shot and seeing Japan, nineteen sixties Japan, is really really beautiful as well. It's just great to see those city streets. Just just like watching a good art film when you're watching them, you know, roll down the roll down the streets in Paris. It's it's a, it's the exact same thing, but this isn't you know just set. In, in Japan, well, th- this film. I'm 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 watching this film, and I'm thinking of like French New Wave stuff. Right? I'm, right. I'm thinking of of Godard films because that's what this filmmaker is doing. I mean, it, it, but not just same but not just making it though, right? I mean, like no, 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 no not at all. Right level, right? I mean, like that's it's one thing to to watch right. Godard and make a Godard film. It is another thing to elevate that art form and take it to a place where I don't think Godard was capable of taking it to. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I in no way want to imply that this filmmaker is just, yeah, mimicking or ripping off Godard. I, I think that this filmmaker clearly, you know, is a student of, of the art and had seen all of this stuff that came before and was like, 
ah, I know how to do this with my work, right? I know how to make this my own. I know how to sort of turn this into something else, or like you said, elevate it into, into a different, into a different form. I mean, it really is its own kind of genre too. Um, I mean, as, as loath as I am to put anything in a genre category, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I, I mean, I can't think of another, I, I can't think of another film that falls into like a kind of queer cinema category that is this fucking good ah, and this so. and, and, and for it to be this fucking good and to be this fucking unknown I, it, right which this you could write entire classes about this film i mean like you you oh. i i i i don't think it'll <laughs> ever happen but i would love to show this at the fort worth film club i would love to see this with an audience oh, and have yeah. them blown away by it and to talk about it afterwards this is the type of movie that you know again if you feel like you're a movie lover and if you feel like you're a serious movie lover for sure which i know that sounds douchey as fuck but like <laughs> this is a movie that you should see that you should seek out that this is an important movie and i you know and i don't use that i honestly i know that that sounds it sounds self-important right but i mean this it's i don't i don't mean that with hyperbole i think this is a movie that should be spoken about in 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 terms of the best movies that have ever been made and i and i honestly i you know that sounds ridiculous but i i wholeheartedly believe it i saw this a few years ago when they did the restoration and i saw it in the theaters and i was just i was mesmerized and i couldn't believe that the first time i'd heard about it was just on the Texas theater website, you know, which is great. I'm glad that that happened, but that, and I know that it probably, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It's the, the film's full history, but this is another one of those movies that like, it really, it, it should be celebrated. We should be funeral parade of roses should be people's top 10 films of all time. And it, you know, I just don't see it, it happening. Yeah. It, it really deserves way more recognition. And I think if nothing else for the, the way we just put it in conversation with these other well-known artists and films. I mean, the fact I mean, that we watch something this. like this and we think of sure. Godard, we think of French new wave, we think of it in comparison to maybe some of the other films that were being uh, made in Japan at the time. Right. I mean, I can't think of anything in the States. I mean, maybe some of like Warhol stuff. Um, but, but I mean, that was more, you know, experimental, not, not, I mean, this, this movie was made to be seen like, you know, in the theaters, it was, it wasn't made as a kind of necessary, like performance art piece, like Warhol was thinking, right? I mean, this was, right. I, I mean, this was a serious, serious film. And I, I yeah. don't always think Warhol was a serious, serious person. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, so. I, don't, I don't think so either. And I, I, I love most of Warhol's out when, what, you know, what he so had his I. fingerprints on. Right. I, I so and in I. fact, I, I will go to, to, to bat for, uh, Flesh for Frankenstein or Young yes. Dracula or however yes. you want to, those two movies uh, every single day of the week. But those weren't this. I mean, those, no. are, those are beautiful art house films made by, I would dare to say, geniuses. But also those were, those were movies that were, I've got a, a castle and I've got some good looking people. So let's just throw together something and see what we come out, come out of it with. Right. Those are not there. I don't think those movies had any intention. I think they intended to be art, but I think they intended to be pop art a hundred percent. This is, this is a seminal film that, that it, like I said, you, you, 
I mean, I, I don't know. It, it's it's again when you when you speak of these move these new wave movies, it, it, this should be at the forefront of of the discussion. Yeah, it really should. And and I did not mean to I did not mean to pigeonhole it into queer cinema because I think it is, I think it is. Yeah. Again, like I don't like categories. I don't like genre. And so I just want to make make that clear that that I did not necessarily watch this through the lens of just queer cinema. So, right. Because it presents it so as, as so matter of fact and is so yes. like, I mean, yes, you have. And, and like even the so the, the whole mask line, you know, the whole mask idea and this idea of um the, you know the interviews, you know, with yeah. with the homosexual men and, and and the transgender women. It's so honest and and truth seeking that it's again, it's never a derogatory. It's never it's you know you're never meant to feel like I'm making fun of these people or I'm even trying to get at some sort of perversion. It's just more of why do you feel this way and and right. you know do you feel different and 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 do, can you truly explain you know why you why why you feel this way and do you think you're going to do it forever? And, and again, I, I think I know that those questions now can sound dismissive, but the way that they're presented in the film. It's it's not that it really is a, right. coming from a place of, of trying to find understanding and genuine genuine curiosity and interest in that person, rather than just being a curio to to figuring some you know to you know as yeah. a, in, as some sort of freak show or what have you. I mean, like you know, just trying to put some people into a into a a, a bucket, if you know, of of, yeah. of curiosity. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, just, I, I love the the, the interviews are, are so great because they are they are open-ended questions. They're not questions where the interviewer is trying to get the interviewee, the subject to sort of frame the responses in a certain way. It's just, why do you do this? Well, you know, and some have different answers and some say, I don't know, it just feels right. Are you going to do it forever? I don't know, but I'm going to do it today and tomorrow. So, you know, but, but that's great. And I think the, you know, the masks that is so clearly pointed at the kind of, you know, cis straight, community rather than like the trans community too is saying like, like no no th- these are the people wearing masks just because eddie is wearing a wig and makeup eddie is not wearing a mask right eddie is sort of showing herself as she wants to be seen well and and, and furthering on that point right where they break it down where like you are interviewing Peta, who's playing eddie and talking about how they're the same like i mean so you're, yes. you're interviewing the actor who's playing eddie and figuring out where and I, I apologize. I don't know how you know. I don't know how Peter actually um, you know identified. So if I'm getting that wrong, I apologize. But the you know the, it, it just further expounds on that, and, and even to the to the, the comic point where you know you've got Che's beard when he sneezes coming off. You know in in scene. You know it it all is so like I said. We talk about like confident films and just and and something that knows who the fuck it is and what it's trying this 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 movie like I, and that's the thing too is like of of 
all of these new wave films, like I've never seen anything like this before nope. ever or anything since. I mean, obviously since, but I mean, I, uh, but this was, it's so mind blowing that again, I know there was an influence on Kubrick, but Kubrick for the most part took an influence for, for the, you know, for some of the sped up scenes and kind of the, and the, 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 cut off music pieces that are, that show up in clockwork orange, um, which are still, which are good, which are obviously good in this and, and kind of weirdly underplay a playful tone. Um, and you know, in, in funeral parade of roses, uh, but yeah, I just, I, I, there, I can't, I don't have enough hyperbole or, or good things to say about this. It's, it's again of the, of the back pocket movies that I have as a cinephile. This is one of the ones I'll throw out every single time. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you did because it was, uh, it's incredible. And yeah, I, I found a Blu-ray on, uh, let's see, Cinelicious Picks is where I yeah. um Yeah, they're the ones the, who did the, the restoration of it, actually. Okay. So I don't, yeah, I don't have enough, I don't have enough superlatives to throw at this film either. And it's one that I'm just going to stop people on the streets or at parties <laughs> and tell them to go watch. You know, I mean, like, it really, it should be. It would go, I mean, like, I don't know, you know, again, you as, as society moves throughout its progressive pendulum right i mean it's one of those movies that i I think it would be important to see i know that there's a lot of terminology right that doesn't sit well today that may um but honestly though the, the way the way that this is portrayed um you know from a queer cinema perspective the the normalcy that this is how this is portrayed and 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 uh, I, I, I would, I, again, I, I, one of those things that, that it should be championed as, is, you know, you presenting it to anyone and being able to like, just accept it as, as the, as a given, as a, like I said, as a matter of fact, um, yeah. That's Funeral Parade of Roses, 1969, Toshio Matsumoto. Um, go find yeah. it or, you know, give me a call and I'll let you borrow my Blu-ray. Cool. <laughs> or, or we'll just talk to you. We'll just, we'll just give you kind of a, a punch by punch like we did here. Yeah. yeah. Matsumoto yeah. passed away in 2017. Um, I have not seen his other movies, but I definitely am going to try to check out Demons <laughs> yeah. soon. That's supposed to be as good, if not, or not better than this. Um, obviously I don't, but yeah, I mean, so, and he's done it. He did, he was pretty prolific. He did a lot. He had a ton of shorts, um, but this was the first feature link. The shorts are, the shorts are on the, there's a bunch of, there's some shorts on the, on the Blu-ray as well. Um, I just got it recently. Um, so I've had time to watch the movie. I'll say twice, more like one and three quarters, but I've watched it twice too, but have not yet dug into the shorts, which I'm looking forward to as well. So it's one of those things. I know we need to move on to the next film, but like, I just like how I I keep going back to the beauty of it all and how like, how and how beautiful Eddie is in, in the film and how like, it's just, I, I, there's, there's a scene where, he's you know, goading his lover about his muscles and whether he can pick up a chair with one hand. And, and it's just, yeah, yeah. it's just so much fun. Like, it's just so like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's so like, there's, I, that's the, what's what I love about this movie is I keep going back. Like when I watch it again, there's things that I remember or things that I've, mm-hmm. I've forgotten that I pick back up on that are just like so silly and so human and so much fun. And then again, but it's also presented in this completely bizarre packaging, but and bizarre in the best way. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The best, the best kind of bizarre. All right. So my movie I asked you to watch was, yeah, was Athena. So, so yes. So directed by Romain uh, Gavras. Um, And I had previously seen his, his the one right before this, the world is yours, which is kind of his Scarface. um, Vincent Vincent Cassell. Yeah. And I liked that one. I didn't love it. I liked it. Um, so let me set the stage and I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to have to pull some of these names. So, uh, sure, we are, sure. <laughs> so this is a French film, uh, is set in a, in a slum call a slum. And I don't, I don't know exactly where it is in, in France, but it's a slum called Athena. Uh, we are immediately thrust into action in this movie. The, the camera never stops, but essentially the story is kind of a Greek tragedy of four brothers. One is named Adir. He's the youngest who he had been murdered. What we believe by police that sets off this riot between the slum and, you know, the slum of Athena and the police state and the, and the, and the you know, the police in, in France. Um, Idir is Muslim, obviously, and there's a lot of Muslim tension and immigrant tension in France. So this speaks directly to that. Idir has three other brothers. One of them is named Abdel, who has been recently, he was a soldier who had just come back from the war. Uh, he has a brother named Kareem, who is living still in the slums and is kind of the leader of an uprising to avenge a deer and get justice for a deer. And then we have Mokhtar, who is the oldest of the brothers, who's a drug dealer who didn't really know a deer and is really only concerned about how the uprising is going to affect, uh, you know, his essentially his drug trade. It's the movie starts off with a deer being killed, uh, or has been killed. And Ab, Abdel is in the police station, uh, demanding justice. He's a soldier, but he's being respectful, but he's demanding answers and justice for, for a deer. So he wants basically the police to turn over who's killed him. Kareem is much more hot headed. Uh, he throws a Molotov cocktail into the police and basically chaos ensues. Uh, and Kareem jumps on a motor, jumps back into a van and for the next like four kilometers, they drive back into, into Athena. And then just essentially you're watching the raid for the most part. Uh, Kareem is able to to keep the police at bay and is starting to build up his own army. They're there to basically break into the police uh, station and to steal guns because obviously no one in, in, in the slum has guns. They, they basically fight the cops with, with fireworks, uh, which is visually ridiculously impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, but, but obviously very tactically <laughs> not really all that useful. Um, so they, they, they are able to rob the police station. They head back to Athena to, to barricade themselves. And Abdel during this whole time frame is trying to reason with Kareem, uh, and to help out Athena by evacuating people out of, out of the slum as so as the police are coming and they're obviously going to, to, to invade, uh, they want to get his, he wants to get his family and any, any innocent lives into, you know, into safety. Uh, so there's a, there's a struggle there. And obviously Mokhtar, uh, they, they stumble across him, but again, he is just trying to escape Athena with his drugs and with his guns. Kareem doesn't want him to leave because he has guns. Uh, so there's an inner fight between these three brothers. And it's, uh, as this all escalates, we come to know the story of Jerome, who is a young police officer who 
has young children and, and basically does not want to be invading the slums of Athena. Uh, he gets taken hostage um, by Kareem. And in order to be used as leverage, so the police will tell them or, or turn over the people who have killed a deer. Uh, at one point, Abdel uh, finds Jerome and tries to break him out. That leads to a struggle with him and Kareem. Uh, Kareem tries to blackmail um, Abdel to let Jerome go. And he holds a mocktail cocktail and he's outside of these gates when... Mokhtar, I guess it's a little convoluted at this point. Mokhtar has called police so he can, he, he has corrupt police on his payroll or at least for his friends. And he's trying to get out of Athena. So he calls the corrupt police to help break him out. The corrupt police come, they see Kareem with the Molotov cocktail. They shoot Kareem. He drops the, uh, the firebomb and it engulfs Kareem killing Kareem. In addition to a deer who's already been killed. Uh, at that point, Abdel reevaluates his his hostage situation with Jerome and decides to hold him hostage to get to get justice. Um, he understands what happens with how Mokhtar was involved with Kareem's death. So he ends up killing him by essentially beating him to death. Um, and then at a certain point, Abdel, because he's a soldier, realizes that he's outnumbered, that the people, his people are in danger. He eventually lets Jerome go. Uh, all this while, um, anarchists, people who have been taking advantage of the situation, who are living in the slums, have have set up bombs in the slums, essentially, basically using propane tanks uh, to blow up blow up the slums once the cops come in. Abdel resigns himself to letting Jerome go, making sure everyone escapes Athena and the bombs go off and Abdel dies in, in a bomb explosion. We later come to find out. So while, while Abdel is talking to the police, trying to get uh, justice for a deer and trying to figure out who's killed him, the police tell them that it was a, a fascist right wing uh, group that was impersonating the police that killed a deer. As we fade to black and the credits roll, we do find out that a deer actually was killed by a religious group that had taken advantage again of the, you know, inserted themselves into uh, and, and tried to exacerbate the tension with the Muslims. They, they, they appear to be some sort of right-wing Christian group who's taken on the police uniforms and beaten the deer to death and then burned their police uniforms. Um, just kind of, it, it, you know, and basically all of this is just really kind of a snapshot into uh, how all of these things can potentially go. The, the racial tension between, um, in the, you know, the, 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 the class system of the poor, you know, versus the establishment, as well as groups bad acting groups that take advantage of these situations and manipulate and exploit um, already exploited people in, in situations like these. Now, this movie is probably told over a period of six to eight hours at most, aside from a deer's killing. So you go right from the police station directly back into Athena and you're essentially not to diminish or to uh, to to categorize this incorrectly, but you feel like you're kind of in a first person shooter. The the, the film is you're mm -hmm. always following one person. You're either following Abdel, you're following Kareem, you're following Mokhtar, or you're following Jerome in a very mostly centralized shot of them. You do get some bigger pan out shots, um, some very well choreographed and really beautifully shot scenes of 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 
the group firing fireworks or the or the um, you know the police creating a, 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 a kind of a bunker in amongst themselves and their and their riot shields. Um, but this movie is nonstop from jump, like from the opening frame, you are in it. Like I said, the, the Molotov cocktail is dropped immediately, and then you're headed straight back to Athena, and you're well, you're 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 basically running through hallways the entire time. You're moving your the camera is constantly moving and like i said you're moving from one person to the next it is a thrilling and exhausting <laughs> and especially because it's, it's in france it's in french right so you're also reading and it's not like overly difficult to watch but you are reading subtitles while you're watching all of this kinetic energy it's it, i mean the 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 filmmaking feat alone which there's a so this is on netflix um there is a making of athena uh featurette after the movie is over, it's also available on Netflix. And just the feat of watching them make this movie is was exhausting. And it's just incredible that it was able to be pulled off. And like, and all of these kind of, you know, young, uh, you know, no name actors and, 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 and men and women that are just brilliant <laughs> and like, and convey the, the correct emotions and, and, um, do so seemingly thanklessly because they're getting passed by and camera movements and, and, uh, you know, when we'll never be really fully recognized for the role that they, you know, the, the contribution they had in this movie. Um, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's a it, nonstop thrill ride is not really where I would go. But that opening, that opening shot is like a four minute long single take shot. And I mean, yeah. in, the, in the whole the whole movie is like just a kind of sequence of long takes. I mean, he's like long, like single takes. But but that that first one is so intense because we follow Abdel out, you know, to the start of the press conference where, where he's walking through the, you know, the, the, the police station through people. And then, the, you know, the camera just keeps going and keeps going. And and I don't know. Say I didn't watch the making of, but I don't know if it's a if it's a kind of drone or how they go in the van as it's like flying down the street. No, and then cameramen, out of the van. There, there are cameramen handing cameras off to people. And so there, there's, I'm going to have to watch running. That. Like if you, you watch, you're like, Holy shit, this is the most dangerous film I've ever seen made because like the people hanging off, hanging off the van are hanging off the van. Yeah. And then like, so there's another car with a camera or a motorcycle with a camera that comes in and hands the camera off through the back of the van and then starts to film it's inside amazing. of it. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. It's bonkers. And what's so brilliant about that technique is that I think had this movie slowed down, I think, a lot of the points it was trying to make would have been too drawn out and too specific. Heavy handed. I think we've seen right and heavy handed because I think we've seen that in movies we've watched this year, where look, I'm all for yeah. social progression, but these movies that are trying again, I and this idea of go woke, go broke is horseshit. But like, but this idea of like you can present your message incorrectly. And so like yes. something like the wonder who has this believe women's story does it so heavy handedly that it, you, you, you roll your eyes and it, and it, it betrays the message that you're trying to get across. This never gives you a second to even consider that right. to be a possibility. It never lets up. You never have a chance to catch your breath. And 
to that end, you're now the movie does the mount the movie then presents all of this and allows you to think about it afterwards. Because again, it's too much to it's too much to process while you're processing all the action around you. Right. Well, this is this movie, I think more than probably anything that we've really seen this year, it does that thing of forming content working so well together. Right. The the way this film is structured, the way it's shot, you get a chance to sort of see and feel that anger as it's building, as it's building, as it's building. If it were shot a different way, we'd have too much time to sit and stew. We'd have too much time to sort well, of pick things you, apart. You about it, right? I mean, we only get yeah. their Christian fascists because, I mean, I may be using the word fascist wrong, but they're, they're you know, they're Christian white wing, uh, you know, group that murdered a deer because you see, you only, you see a, a passing tattoo on the back of a man's, I mean, it's not passing. It's pretty obvious. So they're trying to get across, but it's not, but again, that's at the, that's at the end of the movie when, and again, it cuts, you see police yeah. uniforms yeah. burning and you cut to black. Yeah. Cause the point is like, it doesn't really matter who it was. I mean, right. they think that it was, they think that it was cops that killed these guys because of like a social media video. And, and you see these, you see, you see these perpetrators in police uniforms, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, what matters is that that stuff keeps happening, right? What matters is the police are not finding these people. That's what matters, right? So, so I mean, yes, we see this at the end, and 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 of course, you know, it's just like the stuff that happens, you know, here. These right wing neo Nazi, yeah, fascist, you know, ultra violent whatever they they perpetrate similar actions but again to this community it doesn't matter necessarily who it was it matters that it keeps happening and that the people that are supposed to find these people aren't finding them and they don't want to hear the excuses anymore and that's the other thing is that this rage has been so pent up that's why they set everything on fire there's nowhere else for this rage to go i mean this athena could be detroit could be watts could be Ferguson. I mean, it's this. I mean, it's that same kind of idea, right? And they're blowing up. I mean, you know, and again, so you will about Sebastian. You know, the the one who sets all the bombs, but they're blowing up their own homes. And 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 you also get a very quick slice of life where it's it's the it's the family members that you know the the, the Muslim family members that have the prayer session for a deer that in in the middle of all of this chaos they're still holding true to mm-hmm. to who they are and to and to their traditions. And the, and the mom really only wants. Abdel to to find uh, you know Kareem to to help corral him in because he's you know it, she thinks he's weak minded so you also see the idea yeah. of this older guard that uh, understands the situation and really just wants to get by and wants to survive and wants their family to face no more tragedy than what they've already faced and that that struggle and 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 I think that you know the whole having these young boys who have all of this aggression and testosterone and, and pent up, you know, anger that, that goes nowhere. I, I really, really love the idea of them using yeah. Roman candles that, that have no effect whatsoever other than to provide a really, really cool visual, which probably is what the, why they did it in the first place. Right. I mean, it's just a matter of, right. it's all they have, right. They have, they, they really are toothless. Um, and so to that extent, 
but but you know they they still have to push it out somewhere, right? Right. I you know there was there was some pushback I think to this. I mean this film played well at Venice and the Berlinale. I think there was some pushback in the in, in the press. I think as you can imagine, more right wing leaning press, um, you know, who are going to say, say things, well, this is just like, you know, stylized violence and this isn't the way to solve anything. I mean, those messages that you get from people that say like, well, look, I support your right to protest, but I think you should protest in a different way, right? These people that don't understand, that don't understand like why, why this community is willing to set itself on fire. Right. And, and and I think it does, I think it does, you know, I think it, I, yes, it definitely has a, a message that it's trying to send here. But I also think that it, I think it shows, you know, I don't know. Does it, does it show an even handed side of all of it? I, I think it shows, uh, uh, you know, where, cause again, ultimately it wasn't the police that killed the deer. And so a lot of it was misplaced. You also see the groups that try to subvert the message and try to, to further exploit the exploited. Uh, so I think there's a lot to unpack here. And in, in, in addition to just being a fucking badass action film, like it's right, right, I mean, to, right. You know that that alone, because again, this is not in. This is not like yes, you see a a, a very brief prayer circle, but that, and yes, you understand that these are Muslim men, but that in reality, the prayer circle is not presented because they're all standing up. They're all, it's not necessarily a a distinct Muslim prayer circle. So this is not, none of these messages are in your face. They're not, like I said, they're not the wonder. They're not trying to tell you how you should think about something or how you should feel. They're just presenting what we don't typically get to see, which is, the violence on the inside of of all of these efforts and 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 the frustration and the fear and the resolution to 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 have to hold on to anything when you have nothing yeah yeah and i and and again like you know i think this film or at least the community portrayed in the film is saying to the cops it doesn't matter if it wasn't you quit telling us that you're going to protect us when clearly you're not And, and and that's the same that's the same message that protests have here, right? It's the same message. Like quit telling us you're the good guys when clearly you are not making yourselves look good when, when these things continue to happen. And there's a reason that, that this group that killed a deer chose your uniforms to put on. I mean, a deer doesn't have to be Muslim. It can be black. He can be, he can be, I mean, here, you know, he could be Hispanic, he could be Latinx. It it doesn't matter. These right wing groups, cops, they're not killing white kids. Right. And I think that's that's something that the movie is showing. And and that's why people are so upset. So, yes, the police and even the the police officer that that uh, Abdel knows, you know, he tells him, like, look, it 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 wasn't us. We're trying to find it. But you want to look at this guy and go, all of your effort is over here is over here breaking into this this place, breaking into Athena. Where's the effort to find these other people? So saying one thing, showing something else. I mean, again, another reason this community gets so, so upset. And, and I think kudos to the filmmaker for just showing that anger. 
right? Again, and not over explaining, not doing, not doing the wonder thing of like binary opposites, because, because really there's only one side here. <laughs> I mean, right. and I think, and I think it's to the film's credit. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I am, I would see I'm interested to see what he does next. I'm interested to see if someone yeah. snaps him up to do something bigger budget and and more Hollywood. And and and, and not obviously as I, I don't think his next film, if he does it outside of France, is going to be uh, as message centric. But I, I don't, sure. the world is yours wasn't necessarily metric centric, uh, message centric either. So <laughs> I, I mean, he obviously has it. But I mean, these action sequences are are so so well done that it, it, so it almost. It almost overpowers what he what what they, you know what he's trying to get accomplished in the film, but like I think it it, it plays so well together. It is a fast paced yeah. ninety seven minutes. I would I highly recommend it. It is great. Yeah, it is it is bravura filmmaking. Do you want to do you want to tell listeners what we have coming up next? Yeah, so we just got done uh, filming Terry Gilliam's Brazil at the Fort Worth Film Club. Uh, that happened last night. Um, so we are going to be talking about uh, his films, um, specifically Brazil, but everything else in his in his catalog uh, coming like the up. Brother's in the next <laughs> We're going to be dive deep diving in in a three episode arc on just the Brothers Grimm. Uh, so we'll be talking about <laughs> his work. Uh, it won't be a full on Trader series, but it, but it will be a discussion of Brazil and kind of the, the, the movies surrounding that. Most likely the ones of his what we calls the trilogy of imagination. And that'll be our next episode. Where we go after that is still kind of up in the air. We're going to hit another director. We may do heist movies. So we're kind of playing around with a few ideas. If you want to see something, if you have something you think we should talk about, hit us up at whydoeswilhelmscream.com. Um, we're always open to your ideas. We don't necessarily promise to say to do any of them, but we're always open to them. Um, we'll listen. Right. Uh, if you are in the Fort Worth area in January, a couple of things we got going on that are really, really exciting for the Fort Worth Film Club on January 18th. We're doing a Texas filmmakers uh, showcase. Uh, we're showing short films uh, from from all around Texas. Some of them played at the Lone Star Film Festival. Uh, we're going to have a recorded Q&A um, with the filmmakers that can't be there, the ones that are based out of Austin. And then we'll have an actual Q&A with the filmmakers in person after the screening. Um, so I'm very, very excited to, to see that, to do that. I haven't seen the films yet. Hopefully I'm going to see them this week. So, uh, But if you're there, we would really love, if you're in Fort Worth, we really love you to come out because we want to show a, a nice big crowd uh, for these local filmmakers and really show them support. I think it would go a long way to help supporting what we do. And then three days after that, we're having the Real House Foundation Mystery Movie Minithon 6, which is our big annual fundraiser, also at the Stage West Theater. Um, that's going to be two movies, uh, food, ra auctions, raffles, all kinds of cool shit, especially if you're in the area. Uh, tickets are $35, and you can find those out at... Uh, you can find <laughs> out more about that at realhousefoundation.org org that's r-e-e-l housefoundation.org hopefully I, we, we're looking for this to be our biggest event yet so we're looking for a lot of people we're looking hopefully we're gonna get 100 people out to watch these movies and to enjoy them with us and just have a real good uh night to uh support a cause that is near and dear to my heart which is providing that cinematic experience to at-risk and underprivileged kids and 
outside of that, man, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, this has been, I know we haven't done it for very long, but I'm, I'm glad we're doing this. And, um, for everyone who's listened, I'm really thankful that you, that you're listening. Um, if you do want to interact with us, please do so. If you're listening and you're at the forward film club, tell us, come, come tell us whether you like the podcast or not. Well, actually don't tell us if you don't like it. That's cool too, but, but <laughs> keep that, <to laughs> keep that on the DL. Tell us, tell us why you like it. And maybe I'll be sad less often. <laughs> right. <laughs> Probably not, but maybe we would love, we would love to hear from you. Uh, we are, we are very thankful uh, as we've come to the end of this or into this year and into the new year. Very thankful for all the listeners and yeah. Any feedback is always appreciated as long as it's couched in, in loving and love. Just, yeah, just, just very, very gentle love. <laughs> Look, we are we are lower middle aged cis white men. The fragility is fucking real. Off the friend. charts. The fragility is real. I, you know, yeah. we try to be as progressive as we possibly can, but there's only look. We were we. we this is just how we were raised, and so. Yeah. Uh, so be gentle with us. Yeah. And I got to tell you, when I quit, when I quit drinking and smoking cigarettes, man, there were way too many feelings and I'm still <laughs> dealing with all of those feelings. So. <laughs> There's only okay. so many vices, man. I mean, and, and most of them no. are bad for you. So the, the best vice um, is to watch movies. And that's sometimes that's not even good because we grew up on John Hughes films and that warped our <laughs> sense of high school. And <laughs> we had to, we had to sort of relearn a lot of things. Speaking of trying to be progressive. Absolutely. For the longest time, I just thought sex happened. I mean, I thought, you know, it just was a thing that just, you know, you just got to get a man and a woman close together. And that was what sex was. And that's I, how you get grandkids. <laughs> Which is why Brock and I are recording separately tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay i think i think we should end it there uh, absolutely absolutely uh, all right until 2023 yeah keep screaming bye-bye you have been listening to why does the wilhelm scream with your hosts brock and jason if you like today's episode do us a favor and rate review and subscribe in whatever application you use to consume podcasts these days you can reach us by visiting why does the wilhelm scream.com if you are in the dfw area we would love to see you at a fort worth film club event you can learn more about those and find a full schedule at fortworthfilmclub.com and you can learn about my foundation and how we are trying to foster the next generation of film lovers at realhousefoundation.org that's r-e-e-l housefoundation.org Till next time, 